Good to see everyone. If you'll please turn in your Bibles to today's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris. We, we need each other. Like, we really need each other. It is so good to see faces... Like, I'm just taking a minute and catching faces and people who have, like, this is their first Sunday back. It's awesome. We, we don't like to think that we need other people. I am a rock. I am an island. Is that Simon and Garfunkel? Exactly one year ago, uh, worldwide pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization. All the borders closed, all travel stopped. Like, what has the power and authority to interrupt March Madness? And coming to church was radically disrupted. It does not seem like a year ago it seems like three years ago to me. I, like, I lost sense of time this year. Even the week where we were trying to figure out what to do 365 days ago when we ended up videoing in the commons, that whole week, we went from, we'll probably meet this Sunday, to a full-blown plan that was developing on why we couldn't meet. It's just crazy. So... 
We are taking a week off from Isaiah just to slow down and see God's faithfulness. We don't want to miss this one-year anniversary moment. I have, I have a hard time calling it an anniversary because anniversaries, you know, tend to be good things that we celebrate. But it's a one-year mark. It is the one-year anniversary. And we want to slow down at this moment and see God's faithfulness, especially, like you've probably seen God's faithfulness in a lot of ways, but what I want to call attention to today is his faithfulness to us seen in our faithfulness to one another. God's faithfulness to us, his character, his faithfulness to us seen, reflected in our faithfulness to one another. This is such a better reason to go to church than the attendance police are always watching over my shoulder. This is a much better reason to go to church than that. The reason I go to church is because I learn from other people's faithfulness about the faithfulness of God. God's character is reflected in someone else's faithfulness, and the more I know them, spend time with them, see them walking with Jesus, when I see their faithfulness reflecting the character of God, it really ministers to my life. It, it like speaks to my soul. Um, oh, they're faithfully following Jesus? I've had a really hard week but I can faithfully follow Jesus with them because I see God's faithfulness on display in someone else's life. Such a more compelling reason to go to church than you have to, than your parents made you, than, than you know, it's just the right thing to do. Like, no, it's good for you to discover the faithfulness of God in someone else's faithfulness that you know and trust and you know their name, and you know their face, and, and they're walking with Jesus. So it's a very biblical idea to celebrate God's faithfulness to us through our faithfulness to one another. And I personally, and I think the other pastors would say this, but I personally am drawing deep strength and have been for months from your faithfulness. Like, because we didn't know where this was going, you know, 10 months ago, eight months ago, six months ago. I, I personally draw strength from the faithfulness of God's people as I've seen it in your lives over the past year. So I'm calling this Rediscovering Church, and what I mean by that is a fresh discovery. I really want to help you and I, both all of us, to see uh, a fresh discovery of how your commitment to one another, your commitment to, to each person in this body, deepens your commitment to Christ. There's a direct link. It's not ancillary. It's not way downstream. It's not kind of, sort of. There's a direct link between your faithfulness to one another and your faithfulness to Christ. I want to give you five ways that your faithfulness has helped us to see God's faithfulness in the last 364 and a half days. First of all, church. Number one, church. Rediscovering church. What is church? What, what's the idea of church? We often use the word church to describe the place we meet. 
So if you were going to invite a friend to church, we do that, right? We invite friends and neighbors and co-workers to church. We say, I'll meet you in this upper parking lot. I'll, I'll meet you out there. I'll walk in. We'll kind of hang out in the commons a little bit. By the way, unchurched friends will like to know what's going to happen to them. So it, like, it's a good thing to kind of walk through the basics. I'll meet you there. And we'll hang out in the commons a little bit. And then we'll go in and we'll, we'll sing and, and there'll be some preaching. And then we'll, we'll get to hang out a little bit longer in the commons. Um, so I'm going to meet you at the church. And that's a good way to describe the word church because you're you're, you're describing the place you're going to meet. It's a legitimate use of the word church to say, I'll meet you at church, right? Because it communicates very clearly. But in the Bible, that's not how the word church is used. In Scripture, it most often describes a group of people, a group of people in a particular city or area who confess that Jesus is Lord. A group of people who have received forgiveness from Jesus and who are living out that forgiveness with other people and following Christ together. That's what the church is in the New Testament. The, the, the New Testament describes the church never, the church is never described as a physical building in the New Testament. Now, that does not mean place is unimportant. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Place is important, but I just want for now for you to get that the New Testament concept of church is centered on a collection of people, a group of people, not a building. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, the people are the building. There's this great metaphor, this analogy that Paul works where he says we're like a building that God is building, one stone stacked on top of another, integrated, uh, fine-tuned, built right into it, and, and, and that's the, the temple of the Lord is being built with individual stones. That's you and I. And, and Jesus Christ is the chief, what? Cornerstone. On, the whole church is built on Jesus. So the concept of church is really centered on people, not a building. And, and Kerry talked about the importance of this in his, his recent lesson, um, the first of our one another's. Uh, we've got an online video series that, that's rolling out right now. I'd love, I invite you to taste that, enjoy. They're not long. I think some of them are 15 to 20 minutes long or so. Uh, on the shorter end, hopefully 15 to 18 minutes, most of them. And and we're learning about what it means to, to practice the Christian one another's. The first installment was saved to one another. And you can find this online. I'm trying to point out where you can find it, media, spiritual growth, and then click on save to one another. In this lesson, Carrie is saying, like this is the foundational concept of the church, that we are saved to a people. We're saved to a group of people. We're not just saved as individuals who are floating around out there. Um, yes, it is true that you have to exercise your faith as an individual, but you're saved to a body. So 1 Corinthians 12, which we just read, says this. For just as, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, your physical body, just as your body is one, one thing and has many parts, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul says it's just like that. In Christ, 
Everybody who's part of Christ is part of one body now. So in one spirit, verse 13, we were all baptized into one body, whether you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all made to drink of one spirit. We are now, we, we need one another. No, we, we are, like we're connected to one another, and, and we need one another, and we are one. And it's such a foundational biblical idea that we are dependent on one another. So you can't, you can't believe for someone else. So you, like I can't believe for you and you can't believe for me, but once we do believe and have faith in Christ, the individual then becomes part of the group, becomes part of the body, so much so that the tenor of the New Testament really over and over again uh, can be summarized the way that Joe Hellerman does in his book, When the Church Was a Family. He says this, the thought that someone could acquire a personal relationship with God outside of the family, outside of the family of God, outside of the faith family, the thought that one could somehow acquire a personal relationship with God outside the family and remain an unchurched Christian is simply inconceivable in the New Testament. That is really strong, given the individualism we're fighting today. So I love this reminder that we are saved to a people. We're saved to a new family. In fact, the Apostle Paul will even say the family of God, the church of the living God. It's the family of God. This is your new family. First encouragement I have for you today, these are five encouragements. These are five commendations, five, I hope, five thoughts, uh, five really important biblical ideas that will strengthen your faith today. The first encouragement I have for you today is you have made good on your commitment to one another in this local church. Like you have made good on your commitment to one another. We need to celebrate that. Not to the universal church. It's easy to be committed to the universal church because you don't know any of their faces. Like anybody can be committed to the universal church. It's harder to be committed to people you know and interact with and see face to face you have been faithful to these faces to these families and your faithfulness to this local church to these families to the people sitting around you and near you and in your bible study class and in your community groups and in your one-on-one -on -one discipleship and in your ladies bible study your faithfulness to these groups reflects the faithfulness of God. That's what we're trying to say today. You are putting the character of God on display. So you're not just going to church. We need to go back to church because it's time to go back to church. No, you're not just going to church. You're going to church to reflect and absorb the faithfulness of God who loves for his people to be faithful to one another. That's a beautiful thought. Secondly, The other thing that I have seen over the past 12 months that I want to encourage you in and encourage you to keep doing is you have not just recognized that you're family, but you have loved one another. It's one thing to know your family. Right, it's one thing to be family. It's another thing to really enjoy being with your family. Can I get a witness? 
these are my people. And we all even talk that way, like these are my people. So we're telling a friend of ours who's coming to the family reunion, these are my people, don't give up on me, right? It's one thing to be family in the indicative, this is the way it is. It's another thing to delight in your family, to love one another, to bless one another, to enjoy one another, to want to be around one another. So the second thing I want to commend you for is loving one another in the last 12 months really well. Listen to the words of John 13. John 13, Jesus said this. Just as I have loved you, just as I have loved you, let, let, let the gospel story scroll for a minute here in your mind. Just as I have loved you, like watch Jesus sacrificing sleep, serving, touching people, healing, listening, speaking hope, spending his life on people just as I have loved you like building credibility and momentum for the reason why he has set his face toward Jerusalem and will not look back like just as I have loved you and I'm giving every ounce of my life to rescue and redeem listen to this so you should love one another By this, all people read the world. By this, the world will know you are mine. You're my disciples. You're different than the world. Just as I have loved you, love one another. Love one another more than you love yourself. Love one another by talking less and listening more. Love one another by trying to understand more than be understood. Love one another by not showing up to every relationship with two huge grocery bags of expectations and plopping them down in front of that person every time. Love one another like I have loved you, Jesus says, and the world will surely notice the difference. And you have been doing that. I have seen like if I have seen anything over the past 12 months, it has been how you have shown your love for one another. It would have been so easy for us to settle in at month number two or three into a rhythm of criticism and complaint and, 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 and well, the, man, this, this whole thing stinks. They're not doing church right. They're not doing, they're, they're not doing the grocery store right. They're not doing this right. They're not, nobody's doing anything. It would have been so easy for you all to set, for us as a people to settle into a critical spirit, but you didn't do that. You chose not to do that. You chose to put your energy in the COVID response team and to serve those who are isolated, our senior adults and widows. You put your energy, instead of complaining and criticizing, into hard work to stay connected on Zoom Bible study calls and class conference calls and other creative ways to disciple and stay connected. That's where you put your energy, in drive-by graduations and birthday parties and the hard work of suffering grief the double suffering people have been experiencing. 
losing a loved one in a COVID year and not even knowing how to do normally what we would do. You've put your energy into caring for one another, loving one another, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens. Like all, the, reason we all, the reason we practiced all the one another's this year is because we've been saved to one another. We belong to one another. We are going to demonstrate our love for one another. By the way, note to self, it is so much more life-giving to practice the one another's than to grumble and complain about what everybody's doing wrong. It's so much more life-giving. You're so much happier than when you're stuck in that world of criticism and complaint. It's a claustrophobic place. But you haven't been doing that, thankfully. Now, some of you may have, I don't know, it hadn't gotten back to me. But as a church, you have worn masks when it is uncomfortable to wear masks. You have worn masks when you're tired of wearing masks. Some of you have worn masks even though you don't believe in the science and effectiveness of the mask. But because you're driven more by love than your own agenda, you have, you've worn masks. And you didn't see it as us capitulating to the culture. And that's a really solid testimony. Like that is a solid testimony. And I know that churches are in different places on this. I want to thank you for modeling humility and neighbor love and not being marked as the difficult church. And there might be a thousand more examples. Like I could stand up here and give a thousand more examples. I suppose that if every one of them were written down, the books of the world could not contain them. Like you, you guys have been doing this for 12 months. So I want to commend you for the urgency, creativity, compassion. And I also want to challenge you to keep feeding on what you've been tasting by caring for one another because caring is not just the job of pastors and shepherds caring is not just the deacon ministry and their spouses their wives serving well caring is not just just key. caring is every single member of the body right first corinthians 12 we read it at the top like we need one another and one of the things you need to do is care about someone else one of the best things you can do for yourself when you are in need is to care for someone else and discover the gospel again by serving and giving yourself away. So as we move into this, whatever the future looks like, man, let, you know, Chip was praying, don't, don't lose this. Don't lose this care for one another. We want to hang on to that. We want that to be one of the new normals for us, that we deeply care for one another and this church, like no one would ever slip through the cracks, not because, not because, the pastors are staying up until midnight making sure everybody's getting connected, but because everybody in this body is working to make sure no one slips through any cracks. That's on us. Hang on to that. It's been put on such good display in the last 12 months. Number three, gathered worship. Earlier I said that the church is a people, not a building. 
But that, that doesn't mean place is unimportant. Place is important. Place is important because God is the creator of the world and every single place he, like there's no place in the world you can go that God doesn't want to redeem and rescue the place, the world, the people, the, 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 the scene. God wants to, so place is important. And place is important because it's where we gather. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, what happens in that moment at that place? It becomes a sacred spot. So place does have an important role. Listen to Hebrews 10. Um, some of you know this passage well. Listen to this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And it's easy to get into the habit of neglect because, because the writer of Hebrews says it does become the habit of some. But we want to encourage one another all the more as we say, see the day drawing near. Gathering in worship is really important. Uh, some of you who are back for the first time today are feeling that, like an acute sense of, man, it feels so good to be with my family in church or to be with my church family again, right? Society is rethinking everything right now. In a post-COVID society, in a post-place world, business models are changing. I mean, Chick-fil-A, the master of the drive-thru, right? Uh, the one in Salem has three lanes now. How do you fit three lanes into the smallest Chick-fil-A in the region? Well, they did it. Everything is changing, right? Uh, the smallest parking lot anyway. Uh, public education and homeschooling. Peloton bikes and the new mirror you can exercise in front of. I'm not sure I want to, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't know if I want to do the, I can't run like I thought I could run, Barry. I just, it's not working anymore. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, I mean, everything, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, our homes have become our gyms, movie theaters, and offices. Everything's on the table in a post-place society, including church. we would be culturally blind or downright stubborn if we didn't realize that's happening right now. We're going to have to figure this out. We are going to have to learn how to creatively and humbly resist the inertia of the world on this and make a compelling case for why gathering in person is needed, is a priority. I think one of the good things about COVID that has come out of the last year is that, is that the church, and by that I mean individual people, are being sifted and tested. We are being sifted and tested as to how much we want to be around other faithful followers of Jesus or whether or not we can just do this on our own in a more convenient, distanced form of Christianity. I do think things are going to begin to, to, to separate along those lines. There will be a different brand of Christianity that is even more distanced, more digital, more separated. And I want to make a case for you from the scriptures 
that that is, that is less healthy for everyone. The third thing I want to commend you for today in this present cultural moment is the high value you place on being in the same room with the same people that you say you want to walk with Jesus and be your, your family, like you're, you're putting a high value on gathered worship. Not everyone is answering that in the same way. Tom Rayner, uh, Lifeway Research Church Growth Guru who we've been looking to for years, Tom, Tom Rayner says this, I, like he's a, bit of a, he's a bit of a lone voice on this. He says, I think there's going to be a return to the gathering over the next several years, that people are going to long for in-person, meaningful, substantive life interaction because the digital world cannot satisfy it, and that the church has a unique opportunity right now. He also says the unhealthy churches will get increasingly unhealthy because people won't tolerate hollow and shallow and, and just show up to a thing anymore. It's just, it's just gonna be less tolerance for that. And the healthy churches will get healthier and healthier is the argument he's making. Uh, our prayer is that we would be a church that gets healthier and healthier as people sort through, do I really want, is this, uh, is this my family? Are these my people? Do they need to depend on me as much as I need to depend on them? We do not want to depend on each other. We do not want help from one another. We are American-made. We can do this. Don't need you. I love Made in America, by the way. So don't misread that. But that is something we're fighting I want to remind you today that technology is always risky. It's been that way since Genesis chapter 11 when they built a tower. Technology is risky, and here's why. Because we, by God's design, we, he, he, God gave us imaginative, creative faculties, so we make stuff. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But in a fallen world, the things we make very soon start to remake us. We make our tools, and then our tools remake us. And, and the next thing you know, the very iPhone that we thought was gonna be really helpful to us, and we were gonna be able to connect with lots of people, we didn't like, yeah, that was good, no, no you good? All right, yeah, hey, hey, good to see you. Hey, Scott, hey, hey Johnny. Oh, yeah, hey, John, I'm, I, John and Kathy are probably back there somewhere. Our tools... Our tools are shaping us. And so, now, some of you who are over 60, you're, you're like, go get them, preacher. You're like, go get them. Man, those millennials, you need to light them up right now. Tell them to put their stinking phones away. Well, look, be careful that you don't settle for digital church. Okay, let me explain. There are people watching YouTube right now that we recorded at 8.30 and are blessed by being connected to the body because they're not ready to come back yet. We totally support that. We want freedom 
and the freedom of the conscience of a person to be exercised when he or she is ready to step back in, we welcome you back. We're not, we're not the attendance police. So we're glad we have YouTube and praise God for John and Zach and Bill who have worked tirelessly, and others who I'm leaving out, who've worked tirelessly to get us good clean images so that people in the commons, can I get a witness? Uh, uh, can see what's happening in here and we can keep distancing and creating more space for people to come back and chairs in the narthex and, and, and like this is really important and, and if you're traveling on the weekend it's really great to be able to stay connected you know just don't watch YouTube while you're driving okay just put the audio on and set it down somewhere where you're not tempted to look at it but I want you to hear this is a risky tension it's risky. Digital church is risky business. Because it's not the same. Like, if Trey and I are in the commons and he smiles at my joke, he laughs at my joke, we feel that differently. We experience that differently. We don't experience it that way online. We laugh like we're watching Nate Bargatze or Brian Regan. We laugh, we have fun, but it's not the same because Nate doesn't know me and, and Brian doesn't know me and there's a difference. Are you with me? So yes, we can have these, there's great benefit to digital connection, but it can't be the way forward for us. The center of gravity has to be, I know Pete, I see Pete, I, I, I see he and Janet, I see Janet like nudging him. Did you hear that point? Yeah. yeah I mean, I see that. I, I, I need to be in your life. You need, you need to be in his life. She needs to be in your life. We need to be present. I think that's what we've missed this year that we're rediscovering. We're rediscovering church. And we're rediscovering why it matters to gather in the same room or at least in the same space, and feel connected to the body. All right, number four, I gotta keep moving. Generosity, I wanna commend your generosity. It would have been so easy for you to say to yourself, I'm gonna reduce my giving from 10% to 5% this year because I need to squirrel some money away. I don't know where this is going. I'm taking care of my family. That would have been real easy to do. And some of you may have done that. I don't know. I don't know the details. I don't know the number. But I would say as a whole, you have not done that. As a whole, you have not done that. As a whole, you have instead said, I'm going to keep giving faithfully because I believe that when I give and I put myself back, I give to someone else, I give to the body of Christ, I give to the mission of the church and all the things that are, are giving uh, underwrites. When I do that, I'm placing myself back directly in a place of need. Uh, I won't be able to have that thing I want this week. That's okay. I don't want that thing more than I want you and your faithfulness, God. So that's why I keep giving repeatedly to put myself 
back into a place of dependence. Listen to the gospel uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to the gospel as it relates to giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. This is about generosity. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul's writing to Corinth. Corinth has things, the church at Corinth has things to learn about God's grace and giving generously. And he says, I want to tell you about another church, the Macedonian church. They were in a severe test of affliction, even some of them in extreme poverty, but they have given out of a wealth of generosity. They have sustained their faithfulness because they believe, and then Paul goes on to write, they believe that though the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might be made rich. The Apostle Paul sees uh, a, a incredible link, an incredibly important link between giving and the grace of God. And Jesus embodies that. And so, Paul's making an argument for every time you give, consistently give, every time you give, you place yourself back in a kind of gospel moment. God, do I need you right now more than what I think I need this money for? I'm pretty sure that other thing's gonna make me happier. It's not. And you... Most of you, I suppose, again, I don't know the details, but it appears to me that as a church, you have been Macedonians. You have, so many of you have been Macedonians practicing faithfulness to God by placing yourself in fresh dependence on Him each pay period. Giving is a spiritual discipline, and in it we learn the faithfulness of God. And when, by the way, note to self, when other people see your faithfulness in giving. I don't mean the details of giving, but I, they, they know you're faithfully giving because the body is faithfully giving and we're collecting this and we're reporting it to the church and we're, we're walking through this together and tonight at the spring gathering, you'll hear details like that, um, but when, 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 when the church sees your faithfulness, guess what it does? It inspires their faithfulness. You're reflecting the character of God. Your generosity, that's what giving is about. Giving is not the church wanting your money. Giving is not the church, we don't want your money. I'm not asking for your money today. So some of you might even be hearing that. He's asking us for money again. I'm not asking you for your money. I'm asking you to reflect the character of God in your generosity. That is very different. And you've been doing that. You have been doing that. You have been doubling down on your faithfulness. And I'm telling you, it inspires faithfulness among other people. They see the character of God at work. All right, here's the last thing. Um, oh, yeah, I was supposed to work something in here about online giving. And uh, Pastor Chib's like, throw a little something in there about online giving. So there you go, online giving. Do it, love it. Help, we'll, we'll set you up. Call the church office, they'll help you. Number five. So the final thing I want to encourage you with today is your renewed sense of mission. I am seeing this. You have a renewed sense of mission, many of you. In a, like this last year has forced us to rethink what we're doing 
from top to bottom, from stem to stern, like the whole package. Everybody's rethinking everything. And I love that you are doing that. And you're saying to us, and we're inviting it, let's rethink church. When I say that, I don't mean rethink the gospel. I don't mean rethink our commitment to Scripture. I don't mean rethink whether or not we're going to worship here on Sunday morning in this space. I mean rethink about what the mission of the church is. Like a number of us have been asking, how can we, do, how can we rediscover? I want to invite you into this conversation. How can we be a life-giving place to this community here in Cape Spring? Single moms who live on our streets, whose kids go to our preschool. How can we rethink the mission of the church in this community to those with disabilities, to those, do you, know, do you know families with children with disabilities struggle with basic life stuff? I mean, the number of families that live in our area that have children with disabilities that we could minister to, and across that ministry line would travel the gospel of Jesus. Senior adults, I'm thinking about single moms, those with disabilities, senior adults who have no family locally or don't have a faith community. I'm thinking about internationals. Do you know what, most, most of us in this room are white, uh, we're Caucasian, most of us, uh, do, you know what, do you know what it's like to, f- to feel like I'm, to be a minority? Do you know what it feels like to be a minority person? A person, uh, a minority person does not feel like you do when you walk into this room. We need to rethink whether or not we understand that. A minority, Asian, Indian, African American person who walks into this room, he said, yeah, I, I hear them. They say I'm welcome here. They, they seem really welcome. But do they want me here? Do they really want me here? Like, we, like single moms, those with disabilities, senior adults, internationals, and on the list goes of people, we have an opportunity. Like this, this is our neighborhood. These are our people. Over the last year, we have rediscovered creativity, flexibility, adaptability on how to, how to stay together as a church, how to stay connected, how to worship how to stay in community and Bible studies. What if, like, like now where do we go from here? What if from here on out, we started asking this question. What if this is like a watershed moment in the life of our church this season? What if we started asking, what if we started putting that same kind of energy that we've really been directing towards staying together? What if we started to move some of that energy out toward those in need? And that we really discovered that one of the most beautiful things to do is to give ourselves away. And in fact, if you want to learn how to care well for each other in the family, one of the best things to do is to go on mission outside of the family and take the family with you. And I'm talking about here locally. I'm not talking about overseas. I'm not talking about mission trip to Puerto Rico. I'm talking about a mission trip across the street. 
You will care differently for one another when you are caring for those who do not yet know Christ. You will care differently for one another when you are caring together for those who have serious needs in this community. You will care differently for one another when together you care about those who can do nothing for you in return. Do you remember those words of Jesus that just ring in your ear? Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. You have shown your service to God when you care for someone who can do little or nothing for you in return and who is not a transaction because you want them to come to church and bolster your attendance. That is not what I'm talking about. This could be an amazing watershed moment for us. What would it look like to discover the needs of our community? Not what we think the community needs, right? What would it look like for us together to discover the needs of our community? Rally our interest, energy, and resources to meet the needs of the community and see God build significant relationships with those who need Christ. So I want to commend you for these five things. These are the kind of things that keep me in the game. These are the kind of things that energize me. I love the way Charles, I love the way, I love a couple things about Charles last week. Was that last week? I love the McRib. The McRib is really not a sandwich. That was so much fun. I, I, I love our, 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 our partnership and I love, I, I love the McRib. Um, I also loved his, but my people give me bad energy, I give it back to them or something like that. I don't remember. It, what, what they're doing at the Hill Church is inspiring. We're asking the Lord to inspire us with a missional heart. Can I pray for us and we'll take communion? Lord Jesus, you, you lived like this. Jesus, you showed us how to care, how to love, how to serve, how to give yourself away. Jesus, you were the perfect example on mission and in generosity and rediscovering church, reimagining church. Jesus, you are the one. Teach us. Thank you for what you did for us. We pray in Christ's name.